God herself was like loving me, but also beating the shit out of me during this eight hour dance slash wrestling match of like psychedelic emotional Kung Fu. I then somehow got out of there at the nick of time to run back to my hotel only to try to piece together the, the what did I do, right? And they let me know that I was arrested. I didn't even really know what for. I'm Anthony. And I'm Tyson. We're recovering addicts. This is a podcast about journeys from the darkness of addiction to the sunlight of sobriety. Yeah, man, we used to steal all of the uh, the, the first drinks that we, we had when I was starting out in like probably at least maybe I'm trying to think probably fifth grade or something was like stealing, wow. but just stealing a beer or two, you know, because you would see the, but even younger than that, like, you know, my father had four brothers and all of them were, you know, they, they drove trucks and they hunted and they played ball, right? It was the fucking 80s, <laughs> like all that stuff. And, and it was funny, but like, they all, what did they do? They, they drank beer after work every day. And I was like, I wanted to be like one of the big guys, right? And, you know, they, at a young, young age, it was like the thing, if you would have asked me, like, what does it mean? Like, oh, what does it mean to be a grown up man? Basically, what's it like to be a big guy? I, well, you, you drive trucks, you drink beer, and you shoot guns. That was like the top three. So like, the man, the masculinity piece of it all was like all so interwoven. And yeah, it was such a big part about being a guy. You have a beer with the guys? Like, you can't take that away from me. Real stuff though, like the, a beer with the guys. I mean, that's next to God in, you know, for generations, right? And so like, it's so confusing to a young person who's like so desperate to fit in and so, you know, wanting to like be a big guy. And I think that's, that's a big part of it in the beginning. Drinking was, to me, it was everything about me being fun or, or, or in a sense, I had this huge FOMO or fear of missing out about giving up drinking and drugs and partying and all that stuff because, I mean, I was going to be missing out about all this stuff that I was. And for me, it was, you know, I'm a guy that goes out and I meet girls and I, I know people. I meet, you know, I have the dudes that know me out there too. And I'm kind of a guy on the scene. There was that whole ego, you know what I mean? And not wanting to kind of give up on that era of life almost thinking that that was what it was. And let me, let me let you in on something. It's, it's a complete illusion. When you let go of it, that whole thing you think that you're going to like lose, there's nothing, you don't lose anything except all the bad stuff. And you realize there's actually a point once that's off of you for say like 30 days, the first 30 days, and you start to go, whoa. And I called it sober momentum at one point, get this momentum where it's like, it's not, and then it's, what's fascinating about it. It's like each day, like I was, I've, I have less than you. I've been, I haven't had any for 16 months. You know, for me, it was the first 30 days was cool. And then like 30, it was almost like every week I felt like I unleashed a layer of clarity, kind of new access to, to peace of mind or something that I was like, holy shit, this is cool, man. This, like, this is way yeah. better than like any buzz I could get off of a few margaritas. I idolized, I mean, back to the whole, like how you get on this trajectory. And I think it totally is true what you said, like following the leader in some regard. And it's not one person, it's not anyone. You look at like the so-called like hero's journey and in your ordinary world where, you know, where the hero begins. If everybody that is mentoring you or the models that you're getting essentially, whether it's through, you know, I remember just looking up to the guys that were the seniors on the football team when I was a freshman. And 
what did they do every weekend? They would go somewhere and have a kegger, right? I thought it was the coolest ever when I finally got to go to one of those things, right? And then of course you're gonna, what are you gonna not, you're not gonna drink in front of the guys? Of course you are, you're, you're, you're dying to. You, you want it in so bad, it was so interesting looking back. I don't know if that's still the case, it'd be interesting to know. You know, are, are high school kids still kind of doing the varsity blues type thing where there's a lot of... <laughs> alcohol blended with uh, football. I, I would imagine that there's a, a flavor of that for sure, I would think. Like the world isn't that much different, right? I mean, I, I don't think at the end of the day, I mean, maybe the clothes. Was it for you really intertwined with social life and in that sense to you was like drinking in high school and like, you know, your 20s really intertwined with having fun and girls and stuff like that? Or was it not so much? Well, it was, you know, um, I, I I thought it was for fun, right? Because that was everything, going out, drinking, having a good time, yeah. doing whatever it is you're doing and, you know, add alcohol and off you went. And, and that was it. And that's what we did. Everything was around alcohol, no matter what the hell we were doing. Didn't matter. So, yeah. And that's was my identity understanding that at least for me drinking was this this unconscious sort of inadequacy for me i didn't realize that but i was like manifesting it i started out really drinking in a way that was as a young guy male bonding you know military athlete then on the selling where it was always paired with these things that were perceived by society as good things or productive things. And it, so it was a really weird paradox when you think about it, but it, it seemed normal in my mind back then. And so when I was 21, I went to, to hang out with my boss at the time who was like 28 and he was my idol and for no good reason really, other than he had like a Range Rover and he like, you know, was a little <laughs> bit older than me. Right. Um, <laughs> and so I thought, you know, this guy, he's something, he's making a bunch of money, he's running his own thing, he's, he's, he must be the guy. And so I started hanging out with him and his buddies, and they were, you know, about 10 years older than me, and they all had significant free cash flow, and most of them were single guys, and they were in the mortgage business, of course. It was like, basically like the Wolf of Wall Street. Um, right. And so it was a total cocaine-infested alcohol type of thing. At that point, I had never done cocaine or anything when I was 21. And I went with them to a strip club and they went nuts because I was the young guy and they loved it. And they wanted to see me get the most fucked up and do, you know, have all the girls come over and give me dances and like all the stuff you could imagine where it's kind of like bringing the little brother because they'd all had me at work and stuff. And we're like, man, we like this kid, but he's like 10 years younger than us, right? Or more. Some of the guys were like 40. Um, so they just, you know, and I had a lot of energy and a lot of, you know, I was in really good shape physically, et cetera. So I just dove in, man, I was crushing the Coke. I was doing it all like, and it would turned into this couple day thing. And the next day, this was crazy. The next day I had my cousin's bachelor party, who was also like my other older mentor slash co-alcoholic. He was of course expecting, cause he and I hung out all the time, even though he was like seven years older than me, I had, of course, volunteered to be the guy who set up the whole bachelor party. So I go out right. with guys the night before and I'm like doing Coke and we buy out the strip club. And I must've, I mean, I was drinking vodka. Like it was water. Did you say you bought out the strip club? 
basically bought out the whole upper floor. Like these guys spent thousands of dollars. They were all doing way too well for like really what they should have been. Cause I mean, it was the mortgage bubble and they were all making, you know, 50 to hundred grand a month each. Right. And I worked for one of them guys. He pulls out this wad of probably, it must've been five to seven K in cash in his hand. Shit. I've never even seen like seven K or five K or whatever it was in my life. And so we get in there and he's, and he's of course a huge regular knows like all the girls of my first name. Of course he does. Yeah, I'm sure. And he goes to lunch to get the, the buffet, right? <laughs> oh yeah, of course. And he was quite a character. I think about him all the time. And so I ended up actually crashing at his place. Like after that, they like paid off some chick. I of course thought she was really into me. She ends up taking it really far, let's say in the old, in the old, uh, in the cool. dancing room. Cause you know, yeah. and they're like, I come out thinking like, wow, I'm a, I, I really, this girl really likes me. And then they start bursting all after like, yeah, of course she does. We gave her 500 bucks. <laughs> wow. This is what, adults do i guess right like because i was just exposed to like college kid keggers before that yeah and so anyways that was like my first time really doing cocaine like that right at all actually i think it was the first time i'd ever done cocaine i mean we just went nuts the whole night anyways the next day i had the bachelor party so i woke up two hours after i had gone to sleep leave the guy's house before any of them wake up or anything and i drive like an hour up the way for you know slept a few hours whatever who cares and so then i go straight to the golf course it's middle of summer i've been drinking zero water obviously um who drinks water right i drink <laughs> beer 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 more there like you know we're out in the sun on and on and on then it comes that evening and we go and we eat somewhere. And then it was my task to bring a stripper, of course, to my cousin's like, you know, basically the, the end of this daytime debauchery. And of course, I had met a stripper the night before at the at my newfound, you know, hangout with these guys. I had her contact. I had already set up with her and her friends that they were going to come up to my my cousin's house as a surprise to do the old, you know stripper dance. Yeah, sure. And so here I am, I leave the the restaurant where they're all eating and stuff. And so I'm going back to the place, back to his house to like get the strippers in because I have a key to his house and it's going to be this big surprise. All that happens. It's funny. It's whatever. We're like, you know, doing the thing, pouring champagne on them, whatever. And eventually one of the guys there is like, let's take a shot of tequila. I, of course, is this like tireless guy. Keep in mind, I'm still basically like, running on fumes. I skipped the eating at the restaurant to set up the strippers. I skipped drinking water to drink beer and do cocaine for like two days straight. And it's, you know, I'm in terrible shape, didn't realize it. And so I take this shot of tequila and I walk forward maybe five yards and just go face down on the carpet. Jesus. Like passed out. Like that was it. They were like, what the fuck happened? And it was, that was it. I was done. Like, and they were like, oh shit. One of the guys there was an EMT. He fucking was like, dude, we got to get this guy to the hospital. He's like not responsive. Um, I don't remember any of this, of course. They took me to the hospital, ended up pumping my stomach. I had a 0.35 or a 0.38 or something like insanely high blood alcohol. So this reminded me of, you know, our conversation the other day that the only yeah. alcohol level I'd ever seen even remotely close to, to our friends was, was my own in that particular case. And so I came out of this. It was this huge so-called wake-up call to a lot of people, right? My mom was horrified. Everyone was horrified because, of course, they did a blood test on me. They saw that I had been smoking weed. I had been doing coke. I was My blood alcohol was through the roof. 
and the doctor's like, there's, he must be drinking pretty hard if he's able to even get to this blood alcohol level. And right. of course my mother's a nurse and she's just up my ass, obviously as she should have been. And so at that moment, I basically took it, Hey, everybody goes overboard. You know, I, I took it too far. I just need to be, you know, I need to moderate. I didn't consider that as, as big of a warning sign as I really should have considering how, you know, how impacting that is. I mean, I was on the brink of death. If I wouldn't yeah. have gotten any help, I would have died. Like, yeah. you're at one of those, like, I, I know what you mean. Like your, your first reaction to those kinds of situations is not, I should stop. This could have killed me, but more like, um, I just need a little bit more sleep between sessions next time kind of thing. Right. Yes. Totally that way. And I was like, Oh, well, the problem was, you know, I didn't eat, which was true because the day before I like, you know, worked a 10, 12 hour day, met up with those guys, started drinking, doing coke, ate like two chicken wings at a happy hour or something. I took it as like, oh, yeah, but, you know, if I would have been on my normal eating plan that day up to it and drinking the water and going to sleep and then I wouldn't have gone to and if I wouldn't have had to go to my bachelor party or the, the, the cousin's bachelor party, if I wouldn't have had to do all that stuff like this is totally just a crazy scenario where I got carried away is I basically started at rock bottom and didn't even know it. I was basically, if I could have registered that like right there of going, Hey, this is it buddy. But I got there so quickly in terms of like, it hadn't really, it wasn't a guy who was, you know, abusing alcohol for a long period of time and doing all this stuff. And he real even, I didn't even know what alcoholism was. You know, the people like, this is going to sound like, I, I, it's going to sound like I'm blaming and I'm, and I'm not I, at all. What, what I'm saying is the people that you're with, when you do that stuff, me, you, anybody, um, will modulate it in a way that makes it seem like it's normal or pat you on the back and be like, you gotta just take it a little easier next time. And like, they don't, it's not their responsibility to make it a bigger deal than it is, but at the same right. time, they they almost justify what they're doing by not giving credit to what just happened to you. The guys who were at that bachelor party was like the small little group of like guys, guys of the whole family. Not once that all got out, all their wives, all everybody was like, oh, geez, you know, they were all like, for the most part, pretty horrified. But a lot of them, even their wives too, were like, ah, the poor kid, he's like, you know, he's getting caught up in this. They pushed him too far. He didn't know what he was doing, which partly was true. Like I wouldn't have done any of that stuff in terms of like, I mean, I was literally just following their lead of that. But that said, obviously it was my fault. But the confusing part was I essentially left that point, quit drinking. I mean, maybe for a couple of weeks I did. And then I was back to kind of just regular guy and I didn't have any issues, you know, any big issues. Right. So I was just back to, hey, okay, I'm still a college kid. Like everyone expects you to be a drunk anyways. You're a college kid. Still though, deep down inside knew that like I drank way more than most people pretty quickly thereafter. So like I moved to Spain, um, I think about six months after that incident, it was a very alcoholic society. And so when you go over there, I mean, nobody drinks more than the Spanish in terms of like frequency. It's a daily drinker culture for sure. They drink a lot, dude. Like I think maybe the Irish and the, the English drink more like, hey, let's go get blacked out. But in terms of like, days with drinks on board like there's not a day that goes by that like most of your like spanish people don't have a couple wines or beers or what it's just so integrated in the daily these guys drink but see they they kind of know how to do it and i started going out with spanish people and drinking in their rhythm and i didn't have any big issues you know i would still we would get drunk and stuff or whatever but um 
you know, never anything ugly. I never saw a fight. It was a whole different way of drinking. It was super positive in terms of people were always laughing and singing. It wasn't like in America where go out and get in fights with people and take shots and stuff. Like there was no such thing as drinking shots. There was no such thing as like fighting even in the whole, I I didn't see a fight in the two full years I lived in Spain. I didn't see one single fight. Like how did, for me, because I hit rock bottom, dragged myself across it, my the thing for me that flipped the script for me nearly dying and, and i've talked about that but i had that horrible infection that i got um i was in the hospital literally almost lost my had to amputate my arm i had four ivs going 24 7 for 11 days like the doctors pretty much said that about the third day in like you're not going to make it like this is as severe an infection as we've ever seen you prepare to die kind of get your stuff together <clears throat> so your kids are all right with the life insurance and your wife, but cause you're not going to make it out of here. That was it. That was the moment. And that was, um, and so the day I went in was the last day that I had a cigarette, a drink or a wine like 26 months ago. And I'm happy to say I've been clean as a whistle and on the road to recovery and, and, and on my, my personal path to sobriety and staying sober. Um, and I said it because, as you know, it it, it never ends, right? It, 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 there's not like a finish line. You have to be focused on being sober every single day. Yeah. Um, the only thing that changes is the intensity in which you need to give it. Some days I have to really grit my teeth and stay clean because for some reason a trigger has been pushed. I know what the triggers are, but I don't want to get into all of them right now. But the point is other days it just goes smoothly by and it's not as it's not a struggle. I can just enjoy the day. And I say that because like, for me, the hard turn, I mean, the, that was the moment. So I'm, I'm not going to say unique, but I guess I'm lucky in that I've got as clear a moment in my life that I used as a positive springboard, because a lot of folks don't have that, you know, like, I think you're one of those people, it sounds like where you had to purposely make a choice in light of things going well with everything, so to speak. Well, yeah, I mean, to a certain extent. So like after I went to Spain and stuff, keep in mind, I'm still like a college kid. Then I come back and I'm like, at this point, it was almost all the worst information I could have gone was going to Spain where it was essentially like going back to like 1950. And, you know, my teachers were smoking in class. We were in Sevilla too. We were in Sevilla. We weren't even really in like Spain. Like a lot of people from Madrid or Barcelona are like, oh God, that's the old world, right? It's the third biggest city in Spain. But I mean, it is a time capsule. And, you know, I was going to places where there, it wasn't at all looked down upon to have drinks basically like every afternoon. Um, It wasn't at all looked down upon to have wine with every meal. It was like, so there was so many easy spots for me to just be drinking and feeling like I wasn't really that out of the norm because a lot of people were. In reality, I was drinking more than everybody. That said, I come back to the States and kind of re-justify, yeah, yeah, you know, that big run in at the hospital and the whole thing, that was totally a one-off. I've spent a whole year traveling the world and going out and drinking the whole time and never had any kind of negative experience, so to speak, even though my alcoholism was totally elevated even more than from before, because now I was just a guy who drank like a decent amount every day and didn't get, you know, blacked out, but he was drinking a net total way more. And then from there, I, you know, started to get into the workforce and it was just kind of more and more. And I had several situations, right? So I had a situation where a couple of years after that, I got in a fight with a, a, an argument 
with a guy. I was drunk. I was in Vegas. I was at the hotel. I had been on a bender, Coke, Jack Daniels, long run. And by the way, this was the weekend kind of put the the nail in the coffin for me. Um, although I didn't get stone cold sober for, for a couple months after it, but it was the Vegas shooting. I was in town. I came in early. I was there for a work conference. I decided it was Monday to Wednesday was the show. I came in Friday night, which God only knows why I did that. I should have stayed the days after if anything. Right. Um, and came in, wanted to party, obviously. So the first thing I did was got an Uber, drove to my drug dealer's house and to the liquor store. Duh. Then went to the hotel, chalked up some massive fucking lines, started drinking Jack Daniels, walked. It's great. You know, for the addicts, it's great. It's Vegas. So you're like, oh, I'm just fucking pour myself a Jack on the rocks here. I'm going to just walk right across the little walkway here into the Aria Casino. I was staying at the Vidara. I only know that because I'm not allowed on the property. Um, and- <laughs> And so I went on some friggin' bender of gambling and whatever. And for several hours, you know, probably close to 12, 15, whatever, and make it back towards my room to get food or check in or whatever. And on the way up, I don't have my key and I'm clearly intoxicated. And I start asking them to give me a new key, et cetera. Security guard, it was probably nothing or it could have been something, doesn't matter. But when I'm in that state, I. Basically, the guy gives me the card and does what I want, or I tell him, fuck you. And that's what I did, right? He didn't give me the card the way that I wanted, or who knows why, but I told him, fuck you. And he, of course, said, you know, you better go to your room, you better whatever. And I said, oh, yeah, I did the old, I don't even remember this, this is what they told me later, um, was that I told him basically, you know, I pay your salary type of thing. What are you doing? Go get me the card. And then he got close to me. And he was really close to my face. And then I just pushed him against the wall, of course. And then he like called the police. And then I was instantly on my face um, on the ground. And then I got taken to jail. And so I got taken to jail for basically, they, they only charged me with like trespassing or something. And so they kicked me out of the hotel. Um, and I went to jail that night. I think it was like basically Saturday morning or something when I went to jail but because the shooting occurred that Saturday night, they locked us in the jail and I was stuck in the cell for like until Monday morning. And the only reason I can tell you that is because I barely got out. I had no idea what time it was and was shitting my pants because I had a conference on Monday that was starting and I was fucking speaking at it. I literally ran out of jail, took a taxi, go back to the hotel get my stuff because I think it's going to be in my room. Cause I don't even remember that I got thrown out. I'm just in jail and don't even really know how I go there and go, Oh yeah, my, my room key doesn't work. And they're like, uh, we three out and they have to fill me in. Luckily the lady was super cool. And she tells me the whole story. That's why I know all these details of what I had done and how basically she, I went, I guess up to the room at one point, they took me up there finally after all of this. And I had the bag of cocaine on my person And before the police got there, she threw it away because she knew I would get in a lot more trouble. And she was like, you know what the funny thing was is she because I had been like super nice to her before that she vouched for me. Like I had caught because I usually was super nice, just being super nice to her. And so when I started acting like a maniac, she was like, oh, this guy's like the nicest guy ever. It must be that he's like intoxicated or whatever. And was like, and that's what she told me. And she was like, but man, you got to be really careful. You could have 
like got yourself killed or whatever, like acting like that I was, Oh my God, that's insane. And so I'm piecing this all together. I literally changed my clothes from jail into a suit, make it like 15 minutes late to the kickoff of my thing. And then, and just go up and speak on stage. Like nothing happened and nobody knows either. Cause I didn't miss. So I'm just trying to keep a fucking straight face, giving a speech in a suit when my face has been laying on a jail cell floor for like the last two days, wondering if I'm ever going to get out. And they're telling us there's some terrorist attack. I still don't even really know what happened with the shooting. My phone's been off. My family's like, what the fuck? Like, nobody knows if I'm dead in the shooting. It's insane, right? Me being out of control drinking. Otherwise, you know, I would have just been chilling and nobody would be fucking losing their mind. So it really hit home in a whole new way because the thing that I realized, I didn't know this back then, is I didn't give a fuck about myself. I thought I was bulletproof, right? I didn't think that it wasn't motivating to me. Oh, hey, you're about to die, or you got you went into the hospital, or all that stuff. Somehow that didn't work for me because it had happened. I mean, maybe if it would have happened again, it would have. But I just didn't take that one serious enough. But this one got close to losing my job over it in an actual jail cell. Had to then go to court, get a lawyer, uh, you know, fight all that off. Be afraid that I might have to do some kind of jail time. Then, you know, in addition, go back and talk to tons of people that like there was a person who was meeting me out there who was a friend of mine from literally outside of the country. And I didn't even get to see him because I was fucking in jail. And like, it was just like all these things that was all about everyone else, right? Holy shit, dude. Like I could have like, I put my mom through fucking hell. She thought I was like murdered in a fucking, you know, the shootout. You know, all these things where it was like, it really started to connect the dots for me on how that behavior impacted others when for some reason I didn't really get it before. Man, dude. So was that the moment that you said, all right, enough is enough. I'm done. Or was there, was there more? There was more of me that like, I didn't quit drinking for good. I stopped drinking there for a minute. And like, but that was in my head and that, like, I was like, I'm going to quit drinking, but I need a beer first. You know what I mean? Like, that's how I was. After I got out of there and stuff, I was like, the idea of quitting for good was like really interesting, but I still had like three days in Vegas and I was so emotionally and whatever drained. And then I just was like, you know what? I'm going over there and I'm going to have some beers. And I didn't get drunk again from there, but I definitely wasn't a hard cutoff. Um, and then I found, uh, I went to an ayahuasca ceremony in ayahuasca helped me a lot because I was, you know, I, I went into these like these ceremonies, these ancient ceremonies, and I'm like getting you know, it's, it's DMT. So you're, you're out of your body and in this geometric psychedelic land. And I'm like getting all these these kind of messages about like, hey, it was you the whole time. You fucking jerk off. Right. Like everybody thought it was going to be like, you know, a lot of this kumbaya stuff. I got my ass kicked in ceremony. Yeah. The Mother Earth, literally God herself was like loving me, but also beating the shit out of me during this eight hour dance slash wrestling match of like psychedelic emotional kung fu. What the fuck? And I just kind of it was like this ringing out of the water of all of my fucking laundry in a sense where I like realized all this baggage and crap I had kind of made up and it was mostly just like an illusion of my mind. And it, and it just really like shook me out of it, of, of realizing April. And I had, I had really cut back, but I was still at times drinking wine and like, you know, kind of, and I had gotten to a point where I was really minimizing it in general. I would have, I then had a few more times where I just got too drunk. Nothing horrible happened. Um, I felt really bad about it. And then when I went into the ayahuasca ceremonies, 
I started to see everything that had ever happened in my life on a big screen in a vision. And I started to review all of these things and the cause and effect of alcohol became undeniable to me because I, I experienced it through a completely different reality. And, and if anyone's ever worked with plant medicine, like ayahuasca, you can achieve this in some psilocybin practices of, you know, mushroom as well, or, or any kind of a psychedelic that there's some new perspective of actually watching yourself from a detached uh, view, but really experiencing it, seeing it, grasping it in a way that's completely different and allowed me to have this blessing really that, and I, and I requested it because the shaman who ran the ceremony told me to as well is, is I, I really locked on to the request and the intention going into the ceremony of asking for uh, the truth, you know, to, to make alcohol absolutely disgusting and repellent to me. And after yeah. that ceremony, after going through seeing a bunch of that stuff, I was never able to even drink a glass of alcohol. Like I was, I, I, it was always different from that point forward. Like I went to try to taste a drink at one point pretty, pretty quickly thereafter. And it tasted like, it was like, I could taste all the pain that it had caused me. It was like disgusting. It was a whole new thing. And now even to this day, like when I walk through, like when I finally had those changes and I did many ceremonies after that, that was kind of the beginning of the whole process and, and found out that alcohol wasn't really like the thing as much as like a lot of my thoughts and my relationship with myself and alcohol was kind of my way of sort of masking that. Right. And yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that was the big, big transition was like landing in jail in totally, not only just jail being in jail while that horrible shootout happened and having many of all of my network thinking that I'm probably one of the dead, you know, that was huge. And then, uh, feeling this like threat to my true, to my like status. I think all the other things before I thought, Oh, whatever. I got in a fight or I did this or I did that, but what's the big deal, right? I'm still cool. I'm still successful. And for some reason, you know, this one was a whole new category where it was like, Oh, wait a minute. No, I'm not. I was literally laying on a fucking filthy jail cell floor while an absolutely insane person screamed at the top of their lungs, like centimeters from my face in complete filth. And I was at the same level as the lowest member of society in those moments. And it was like undeniable. I was like, wow, okay, well, I definitely, all the illusion I had that my behavior was somehow justified or, or was somehow different like than any other, you know, sort of dirty, kind of almost homeless addict was now completely wiped out, right? Like it was like, oh wait, I am on the brink. I'm looking down the barrel of going the way of the guys who were sitting in the cell with me. And so I think it was all about my own, like my ego in that way or my own self image of being like, I'm a successful guy, I'm a whatever. So somehow that really rattled it. Cause I remember having a new level of fear of like, holy fuck, I'm like really close to being one of them. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that for for a lot of people, I I think the concept of doing drugs and drinking is part of the formula for success or what gives you, it's like the ticket into the cool, into like the popular group, if just for, for, for lack of a a better way to describe it in a, in a terrible example, but you know what I mean? Like in the narrative of 
life, the drinking and the drugs are usually what people do to hang out, to spend time, to be fun, to spend money, to show how wealthy they are. Like you don't see videos of people very often anyway, um, not drinking or at the strip club or doing shit that they're not supposed to be doing. I mean, and it, so it's been glamorized and I, and I get it, man. And, and, and unfortunately it does very often take a moment of sheer collapse or breakdown or utter failure. And in my case, many utter failures were because I, like I said, and I mentioned before, I dragged myself across, across rock bottom for a long time. I, you know, it's, it's interesting. And the one thing uh, that I'm looking forward to investigating on the show and talking through is everyone's story through that hardship, through the, the darkness of addiction, because it's different for everybody. And it's at the same time, and oddly enough, the same for everybody. And those moments, like I had a very distinct moment, you had a distinct moment, but before I got to my distinct moment, there was a long buildup of indistinct moments that I, you know, hadn't you know, looked at it the right way. I would have realized that I was going down the wrong path instead of it being cute or funny that I could drink three bottles of wine at dinner and being fucking freaked out by that. I, I kind of wore it as a badge of honor. Like I could stay up until four in the morning and drink wine. And it's good. It, that's some scary shit, man. And thankfully I almost died. And thankfully I made it out alive. And thankfully my wife and kids have given me the opportunity to earn it back. And I'm earning it back every day. And that's the motivation for me is being a selfish prick almost cost me everything. And more importantly than just me, it would it would have cost my children a father. It would have cost my wife a husband and a life mate, you know, because- You're right. And I thought about that. I even had a, a couple of friends say that to me being like, you don't have anything really to like lose. That's why you're not quitting. You're not, you're still just some guy who's basically, you know, I didn't have kids. I mean, I did have a wife. So it was interesting. Once I was married, I quit drinking for some little short periods of times where I would be like, okay, I'm like, you know, I take a 30 day off. I take like, I had a few moments like with my ex where it was like, she talked to me the next morning. It was like, oh, you said stuff to some people and you were being an asshole. And like, I didn't remember it. And I was like, I would always kind of take it as like, she's like oversensitive, whatever. And so what was, you know, kind of wild is like, I didn't really like have anything that I cared enough about. Cause like in you talking about that, it was like, I guarantee you if I would have had like, if I would have saw like someone directly, like depending on me or something like that, I think that would have maybe hit me differently. I think that's why I was able to and able to, right? Like as a horrible, I wish I wouldn't have been able to drag on and on and on for years and years just continuing to be some guy who's drinking a shit ton and like, kind of, but still like capable of kind of hiding it to some people, right? Obviously a lot of people knew is I think that's what would have sped mine up properly is if I would have had something like that, I couldn't find it. That was my biggest, my biggest struggle of, of why I continued to drag around this sort of numb world. I remember sitting in New York when I was living there and I was like at the height of my drinking and I was like, it was like a Monday or something. One of those Mondays after a long weekend of drinking and you're like sitting there just feeling like shit, and like kind of like the shakes and stuff. And you're like the beginning of the day, you're like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to not drink now since I've been drinking for a few days or whatever. And then it gets to be like, it's one of those days where you're so hungover every minute seems like hours. And then you're like, 
ah, fuck it. And you're at the bar. I remember being at like the pubs all the time at like noon. Like, ah, just give me a yeah, give me a pint. Fuck it. You know, and like give me a quick one. Yeah. It was yeah. always a quick one. Yeah, it's a quick one. Give me a quick pint. And then I would like get past two or three and I would finally be able to be like, oh God, that fucking tension in my freaking head, that voice or that that self. I didn't realize that was me the whole time, right? But it was like was just so heavy on me. And then you would just keep getting into those. And I remember at times being like it was there was some weird obsession of in those moments where it'd be like a Tuesday or a Wednesday. Those were the worst ones. If it's Friday night and everyone's out drinking or whatever, fine. When it was like Tuesday or Wednesday at 2 p.m. It's Tuesday at 2 p.m. and I'm at the bar, right? Like, <laughs> you know, you can't you can't really get around that one trying to make it to like some darkness or something. I remember drinking like shots of vodka. Like I had a bottle of vodka in my freezer. It was almost like I was so afraid to sit with myself and like so afraid to just be like sitting still or not doing something for like a second almost. It would be like, okay, well now I'm going to go drink vodka just because I don't want to even basically be in stillness. Yeah, I know, man. And, and I'm looking forward to our discovery like over the over the course of our show i'm looking forward to bringing to light people's story of their journey from the darkness into the light and i mean everyone's got a different story but at the same time they're they're the same i mean and i and that's what i love and that's what i'm most excited about learning from all of our guests is how they made it through what triggered them to begin the process of making it through to the sunlight and for some people it's a bitch uh of a story and by that i mean it it'll raise the hair in the back of your fucking neck and yeah. scare the shit out of you and, and it should because it's scary and um yeah if i wouldn't have had the support of like family and people like that who just kept like having my back and giving me chances i see a lot of people out there that my heart goes out to because i know i've been even worse than they have in terms of my behavior, my abuse of alcohol, et cetera. And I've had second, third, fourth, fifth chances that a lot of people never get. I'm very grateful for that, whatever reason that is, who knows, probably just pure luck, right? But I see a lot of people out there, like you said, their journey, their stories, a lot of it's because nobody ever like, you know, yeah, they have all the blame, but there's like not, they're not getting the opportunities and the second chances that I have we can help even one person either kick off the process towards the sunlight or share other people's journeys to help other people get through and stay in the sunlight i think we could call it a win yeah and i mean i think the last thing i would say for this one is you know in talking about there's a cathartic for me you know putting it together so thanks for for being here with us to listen to it one of the things if you're out there and you're thinking right now you know, maybe you're one of those people that doesn't feel like you have a real reason why to become sober yet. Because if you are thinking about it, you probably are that person. And I would just say the one aha moment, because I still haven't quite concisely answered Anthony's question about, you know, all the like, what was it? And to me, it was very clear, but it was a very long journey. And I had the help of ayahuasca and, and some psychedelic experiences to, to figure it out. Um, you know, he was connected, Anthony was connected to his, to his family, to his whatever, and I was a solo guy. And what ended up cracking my sort of veil or, or, or you know, giving me this clarity that there was something bigger than myself, even though I didn't have kids and I didn't have, you know, a wife or like 
other people to do it for is I realized it wasn't for them. It was for me. And so even if you do have kids and and if you do have a wife or whatever, it is still for you. And that's what ruined my, not ruined, I'm glad I went through everything I went through, but what delayed my progress was thinking for so many years that I was doing it for someone else. And in reality, it's you the whole time. And it was me the whole time that you need to be doing it for. And also you are the one doing it to yourself. And just remember all those aspects of your consciousness when you're you know, in a tough moment and when you're thinking and it might feel like there's a third party there and an opposition that's in your mind on you. And it can sometimes get away from us. We think there's these others that are that are acting against us. In reality, it's you the whole time. That whole experience is only going on inside of yourself. And then when you realize that being great to yourself, some people call that self-love, be a confusing term, but being great to yourself includes not pouring copious amounts of fucking Jack Daniels on top of yourself. If you think you don't have anyone, you do, is my point. You have you, if you're listening to this. And you... You are a part of an infinite self, you know, network of selves. All these other beings in the world, they, like, we need you, right? Like, the better you are, the more you love yourself, the, the, the better you're vibrating. Even if you don't have kids or, or anything like that, or if you do, the better off it is actually for everyone else that you treat yourself with love. So just remember that. Thank you for joining us this week on the Dismantled Life podcast. Please join us on July 3rd to hear Bavesh's story from the darkness of addiction into the sunlight of sobriety. Check us out at dismantled.life and subscribe anywhere you can find your podcasts.